tafkidim in life, in general, and goals of yeshiva, is everyone to find their uh, niche, the, the way they can help the world, the way they can change the world, the way they can improve the world. And that's a goal in general. And it's a goal, especially now, as in everybody should be out looking for what they can do to be helping everybody in, in, these, uh, in these times. And being a typical, ho-hum, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, Harvard-trained yeshiva psychiatrist, Dr. Friedman has decided that uh, his miluim right now is that he's going to be helping out yeshiva bachrim in the various yeshiva here in Israel programs, Yeshivot has there. He's, you know, he, he's visited all your friends and all the other Yeshivot as well. He likes to take a picture in everybody's swag. That's why the sweatshirt is on. keeping this, whoever gave it to me. Sorry. <laughs> um, I didn't attend any of their meetings, but my understanding is that um, when terrorists work, part of what they do is not only the physical damage, but they are working as well on why it's called terror, is the psychological damage as well, the psychological warfare and that's why it's very, very important to bring an expert on trauma and listen to what he has to say. Without further ado, Dr. Friedman, thank you. I have to say, it's always a pleasure to come back to Nativ Aryeh. Please give my regards to Rabbi Bina. My understanding is he's away for Shabbat, but uh, we go way back, uh, the Rosh Hashiva and I. So please send regards. Uh, we, uh, we all say that we have to do our part, and we'll talk a bit about that. But uh, this is really my miluim, because uh, my kids have made fun of me enough and told me that I'm not allowed to go to the front lines because I'm old, and I don't know how to use any weapons aside from nunchucks. And uh, they said, if you go out there, you're actually making it more dangerous for everybody because you'll tell far too many bad jokes and people won't pay attention. I am doing something, though, that I've never done before, which is I'm carrying an extra clip in my pocket so that way I can feel like a rap artist from the mid-1990s. And uh, my kids have also given me a hard time about that one. They said, Abba, by the time you're reloading, uh, you're already dead or you're just massacring random innocent civilians. Uh, so either way, it's not a good matzah. Just stick to the nunchucks. About two and a half weeks ago, I was doing what I usually do, uh, right around Yom Kippur, is listening to Shirim and trying to be machazek myself to do shuva. And I was listening to a shir that I always listen to. Is anybody here from L.A.? Do you know Ice Cube personally? You should. Uh, in addition to knowing Ice Cube, hopefully you know Rabbi Brander Schlita. Okay, Rabbi Brander is a bigger Marbit's Torah than Ice Cube even, if that's possible. And uh, he has a great shir that came out a number of years ago that I still listen to before Yom Kippur every year about Sefer Yoyna. So Yoyna, as we know, was taking a schluff in the bottom of the boat, and all the goyim above were running around and screaming, what's going to be, the boat's going down, we're all in a lot of trouble. And they went down and they found him, and they said, Yona, Malcha Nirdam, you're, you're schluffing, you're sleeping, what are you doing? Wake up! And Rabbi Brander says that this is the message to all of us when the ship is going down. What's going on with your life? What's going on with your Yiddishkeit? 
What's going on with your family, your relationships, your friends, your community? What's going on with the world that you're sleeping? You have a lot of work to do. Do a cheshbon and nefesh and figure out why all of this is happening to you. And it was great around Yom Kippur, obviously, because we have a lot of work to do. But it's not so great when a war breaks out and you're thinking about how much Lush and Hara you spoke about your neighbor, and clearly that's why this has happened, and now he's been drafted, and maybe you don't have the opportunity to apologize to him and to do tshuva because he's headed to the front lines. It's also not so good when you consider the fact that most of our kochos come from Tohore Naim Yoshev Shemayim, and you guys have not been checking your fantasy football teams at 3 in the morning when you think your roommates are asleep. Don't worry, it's not an internet talk. I don't do that stuff. That's between you and the Abishter. But guys, it's very, very heavy, and we all have to ask, what have we done? In the same sense, that's not such a good thing to be doing right now. And I was reminding myself of another challenging situation that happened to Claudia Israel about three and a half years ago when the coronavirus pandemic first broke out. Do you remember the beginning of COVID-1984 when the Democratic Party and the Chinese Communists conspired to get Trump out of office and give us vaccines in order to make money for the pharmaceutical companies such that they could sterilize young children? Go Joe Rogan. Just kidding. Guys, this is training. Okay. Everybody relax. 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 Uh, I had a patient, a very beloved patient of mine, is a fellow who's uh, had his struggles. And uh, in the beginning of his treatment, he used to call me about 40 to 50 times a day to check in with me, uh, of which I would try to answer about seven or eight of those phone calls. And he had done tremendously well to the point where he wasn't even calling me in between sessions. But when the pandemic broke out about three and a half years ago, uh, I got 193 calls from Meyer. And it was only 2 o'clock. Now, this was great because part of his treatment is we set up positive reinforcements and negative reinforcements. And one of the things that we've done is we said, Meyer, every time you call me, you owe me 10 shekel, whether or not I pick up. Now, a lot of my patients had already started going home to the States at that point. So the fact that he was calling me 193 times, that was great. You know, I was worried, how am I going to buy my daughter's Diros? And all of a sudden, Meyer's calling me all day long, money in the bank. So it was only 2 o'clock, and Meyer had already called me 193 times, and I'm, just, I'm not answering a single phone call. I'm just smiling, laughing about it, because, you know, frankly, I'm nervous in case my scratch ticket habit doesn't pay off. Uh, how else am I going to make this happen? And unfortunately, I made the mistake of answering the phone when Meyer called, and he said, Doc, thanks for answering. And I said, uh, yeah, who's this? And he said, it's Meyer. And I said, I know. I figured it was you, because this is now 194 times. Nobody else is going to do that to me. And he said, Doc, I've done some terrible things. I said, what's that? He said, I'm responsible for every single death that's about to happen. You speak lush and horror about somebody, you die, they die, anybody who hears it dies. And I've spoke a lot of lush and horror about my sisters, my brothers, my brother-in-laws, my sisters-in-law, my parents, my neighbors, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins. I spoke a lot of lush and horror about you, and I posted it on the internet, and a lot of people are liking it. And as a result, there's tens of thousands of people who are dying, and it's all my fault. And I said, Meyer, stop. Don't stop calling me. 
but stop saying this stuff. Meyer, this is Narishkeit. You did not cause this. We don't know what caused this. We're not Makubalim. We don't work for the Mossad. We have no understanding of what's happening right now, but we know that it's part of something that's much bigger than us. You did not cause this. That is not healthy. You need to focus on being healthy. You need to maintain your structure. You need to anchor yourself and be strong during a time of challenges, or you're going to get overwhelmed. You did not cause this, Meyer. Stop doing that. And he said, I know, Doc. And I said, then why do you call me 194 times? He said, because I needed to hear it from you, from somebody I trust. So the first thing I want you guys to do, Malacha Nirdam is great. It's really, really good stuff. Keep that in mind, okay? Make yourself strong. Make those around you strong. Make the world stronger and a better place. But right now, this is nobody's fault. You did not do anything wrong to cause this but you can do something to fix it. We're all going to have a lot of intense emotions right now. If you are not feeling fear, you are probably drunk. If you are not sad, you are probably a serial killer. If you are not angry, then you need to get your testosterone levels checked. Guys, a lot of intense emotions. This is terrible stuff. This is the worst thing that has happened to our people since the Holocaust. You're going to have a lot of fear. That's normal. That's how our body responds to stress. You're going to feel very sad. We're Rahmani B'nai Rahmani. Don't deny that. You're going to feel furious. Don't deny that. Some people might actually feel nothing and wonder, well, am I a serial killer? And the answer is no. Different people respond to stress in different ways. Some of us actually shut down, and that's a perfectly normal response. So you haven't done anything wrong. If you do feel like your body is shutting down and you're feeling numb, that is a response to stress. It actually is how some people protect themselves psychologically and neurologically from intense traumatic exposure. But we have to do something with these emotions, with the fear, with the sorrow, and with the rage that we're feeling right now. So I really want to start this off right now by focusing on anxiety, stress, nervous kite, whatever you want to call it. We need to gain control again and get back to our rational selves so that way we can be productive. So we're going to actually do a relaxation exercise as a team. When I tell you, you're going to close your eyes... We're all going to breathe in through our nose together. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand. We're going to hold it one, two, and then we're going to breathe out through our mouths. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand. We're going to do it as a team, guys. Close your eyes on the count of three, unless you're sitting next to that guy who's probably going to steal your wallet. And breathe in through your nose. One, two, and out. Breathe in through your nose. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three, one thousand. Four, one thousand. Pause. One, two. Out through your mouths. Breathing in through our nose. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three, one thousand. Four, one thousand. Hold. One, two, and out through our mouths. 
you can open your eyes. And I'm hoping that everybody will feel a bit more relaxed. Now, you might say, well, I only feel the tiniest bit more relaxed. That's good, too, because what it's showing you is that you do have the ability, with a bit more practice and training, to decrease your level of stress. We are right now sitting having a very intense discussion during a very intense time, and we're only doing an introduction to stress and mindfulness practice. But you can see from this that if you control your breathing, it allows you to control your heart rate, which decreases your blood pressure and calms your brain down. It allows you to think more rationally. This is a good thing because fear is the opposite of rationality. We have to control the sadness and the sorrow that we feel. And the best exercise for doing that is to think about all the things that we do have right now. Yes, we've lost tremendous amounts. Some of us have people we know who have been injured or has shalom killed. Even just seeing what's on the internet is horrifyingly traumatic. Now, I'll just make a pitch for no social media for guys uh, not from a Yiddishkeit perspective, because I don't care about that. I, I might be a from guy, but I'm a psychiatrist. What you guys do is between you and God, uh, and your Rebbe's, if they decide to give you some hadracha. But I would encourage everybody right now to be well aware of the data. Data done by non-Jewish psychologists who are not religious people, looking at large populations of American young adults, which shows... The less time you spend on social media, including YouTube, which is a form of social media, the less likely you are to experience anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Conversely, the more time that people spend on the Internet, specifically social media, there is a greater association with a lack of life satisfaction anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, suicidal thoughts, and self-destructive behaviors. Anybody want to challenge me on that? You're welcome to. Most of the time I can say, one of us is right and one of us is wrong, and you came here and paid me, so clearly I'm right, but I'm actually doing this pro bono, uh, So, and I came to you, so I can't even say that stuff now. But if you do have any questions about the stuff I'm saying, please go ahead. We have to keep our Seder. Now, I went to a place yesterday where I said, guys, hold the Seder. That means that every day at 4 p.m., you've got to wake up to check your fantasy football team for 45 minutes before going to the bathroom and brushing your teeth with somebody else's toothbrush, going back to your bed, continuing to drink a bit of Gatorade because you're hungover, calling your mother and telling her how much you appreciate the fact that she gave you the credit card to go to Cyprus during Holomoid, and then going back to sleep because you've got a long night ahead of you, going to Ben Yehuda Street and trying to avoid being maced by an Israeli woman. It's a tough schedule. But for you guys, the schedule is a bit different. Baruch Hashem. You have to hold by the schedule. No matter how you're feeling Physically and emotionally, we know that people who keep their structure are less likely to develop acute and post-traumatic stress disorder. So 
So that means, no matter how tired you are, no matter what kind of sleep you got, you have to be up early in the morning. I'll set an arbitrary time that's about 8.30 a.m. If you wake up early before that, God bless you, but do not sleep past 8.30. Get up, see the sunshine. That allows our bodies to keep a normal schedule. If you feel like you can pray, you should go to pray. I'm a big fan of davening. In our family, everybody tortures me and makes me wake up for nates with them. And between you and God, that's what you got to do. I would encourage everybody, though, to breathe deeply and to have a conversation with the Kadosh Baruch Hu. Whatever that conversation is, hopefully it's a bit of gratitude, because gratitude keeps us grounded. And we do have a lot to be grateful for, even during tough times. Yes, those are noises that should be giving us a lot of intense emotions right now, but thank God we are relatively safe right now, all of us. We have food to eat, we do have shelter, and please God, all of you have clothes on. So we do have a lot to be grateful for, and it's important to keep all of this stuff in mind. Have that conversation. It will decrease your heart rate. It will regulate your breathing. It will decrease your blood pressure and decrease the stress and misery in your system. And then I would encourage everybody to go exercise. It is so important to do cardio during times of stress. It burns off a lot of the stress chemicals in our body, and it keeps us focused. Those of us who steal our kids' ADHD medicines in order to focus throughout the day and have enough energy to go around giving talks like this, it's also important to do cardio because cardio is the most important thing that allows us to focus. Now, you might say, I'm too tired to exercise. The response to that is a bit paradoxical. The more cardio you do earlier in the body, the more it actually gives you energy and allows you to focus throughout the day. So really, again, guys, wake up early. Have a moment of mindfulness. And if that's prayer, please join together. And if it's not, at least just breathe in deeply and have a conversation with God. I would then encourage everybody to do cardio and go about doing the good stuff that you do. If you're able to go and learn, please go and learn. If you're not, Hashem, there's a lot of other good stuff to do. I see people practicing tying tzitzis here. That's good. I see plenty of people handing out food. That's good too. There's always good things to do. Stay busy and do not click on all the bad stuff out there. That is psychological warfare. That is what they want. It is demoralizing and it breaks us down. If there's any important news, you will know about it. Are we in agreement about that? If there's anything you need to know, you'll somehow find out. You don't need to find it on Facebook. You don't need to find it on the uh, platform formerly known as Twitter. Good. Guys, you got to do your shtadlis. I know that, Ruch Hashem, we have a lot of brave people at this yeshiva, many of whom have taken up arms and have gone to fight on the front lines. You are also on the front lines. All of us are on the front lines. I want to tell you a story. It's a very special story for me about my family's Rebbe. Rebbe Shafitz was a tremendous sadik. He was my Zadis Rebbe. 
He taught my father how to lane. He taught me how to lane. He taught my kids Shema Yisrael before he passed away at 101. Rav Beryl Shafitz learned in the Shiva of Radin by the Chofetz Chaim himself. And he, because he lived until 101, may or may not have been the last pair of eyes to see the Chofetz Chaim giving over Shir and the last pair of ears to hear the Chofetz Chaim giving over Shir. And he's very famous. You all know him, I would imagine, whether or not you think you know him, because there are not too many pictures of the Chofetz Chaim but one of the famous ones that we've all seen is where he's sitting in front of the yeshiva at the shtender, and there's a little boy to his side, right here. There's a little boy who looks about 12, who doesn't have a beard and is wearing a long coat. And that was Rebero Shafitz. If you haven't seen the picture, picture it in your mind after you look it up on Google. And Rebero learned in Radin at a time where learning in yeshiva was very hard. You guys will oftentimes complain if the wrong sriracha sauce is used on your General Gao's chicken. When Rivero learned in Radin, you had to dig your own potato for breakfast. So you went outside, and with a shovel, or with your hands, you dig up a potato. You take it out, and they would boil it for you for breakfast and give you a pinch of sugar. For lunch... You had to go out and dig your own potato, and they would boil it for you and give you a pinch of salt. For dinner, you were on your own, and there were no potatoes left anyways. You had to wait until the morrow for them to grow. And Ribeiro learned in Rodden until the war broke out, and his entire family was slaughtered by the Nazis. His brothers, his sisters, his parents his extended family, his neighbors, the entire community where he lived was destroyed. They were all killed, except for him and his brother Yoeli. And Rav Beryl and Rav Yoeli fled into the woods and eventually linked up with the Bielski brothers. The Bielski brothers were famous partisans. There's a movie about them. You shouldn't be watching movies right now, but if you need to, it's a good one to pump you up. And Rav Beryl was in the woods And by the partisans, everybody had a job. You were either on Shmira, walking around, or carrying out attacks on the Nazis, or you were chopping wood, gathering food, cooking food, bringing water, building the shelters, maintaining the shelters. Everybody had a job. You had to have a job. You were either on the front lines, or you were helping the front lines. And you had no other choice. It was survival. Rebeiral was one of six boys that was allowed to learn Torah. They didn't have any sparring, but there were six boys who were very serious, and all of the partisans knew that they needed people learning Torah, so they took these six young boys, and they sat them down together, and there were no sparring in the woods, so everybody was learning the Mishnayis and the Gemaras, in the Bar Mitzvah Parshiot of the other Bukhar. They all sat around and gave it over until everybody knew the other guy's Bar Mitzvah Parshiot, the other guy's Mishnayas that he had up here, and the other guy's Blah of Gemara that they had, Baal And they got close to finishing the Chumash together and close to finishing a couple of Sidre Mishnayas together. And they sat and they learned in the Zuchus of all of the soldiers that were out there, the partisans guarding their camp in the woods. And Rebero did just that, because that was his job. 
except for one exception. And the one exception was then the partisans had caught a Nazi soldier and they tied him to a tree and then they had to ran out to continue the war. And Rivero was set to guard him because they needed somebody to sit and guard him, so he took a break from his Torah learning. And he was there with his brother Yoli. And while they were guarding this Nazi, Yoli took a knife out of his pocket and he cut off one of the Nazi's ears. And he said, this is for my sister. He gave the knife to Beryl, who was only 14 at the time. And Beryl cut off his other ear and he said, this is for my other sister. And they cut him to pieces for each and every family member, neighbor, and yet in their town. And then they went immediately back to learning because there was no time for anything else. Now, I want to be very clear. I am not encouraging anybody here to go to an Arab village, find somebody and cut them to pieces. That will be a bad idea. You are infinitely more likely to be hurt and you will cause an international uh, issue that is probably not counterproductive to our goals right now. Furthermore, that's not your job. Rosh Hashem Yeshiva has sent so many people to go to war. Your job is to be amongst those six buffering who are learning as hard as they could with every single action to be amongst those who remained to build up the camp so that way the partisans could go to war. Your job is to take exactly what you are doing as serious as possible. Use your anger right now to change yourself for the better. Everybody here has character traits that are not fantastic because we're all human beings. Everybody here does things that are not wonderful because we're all human beings. Everybody here wishes that they could start a diet, wishes they could start exercising, wishes they could wake up for nades, wishes that they could learn a bit more, wishes that they could stop saying Lush and Hara, wishes that they could do whatever they want to do, and now you finally have the gasoline to do it, to make that journey. Focus. Because right now is your chance to make a Kenyan. Now, Rav Yonason Shai uh, said something that he was very proud of to me a few years ago, the last time that I was here. I asked, what percentage of guys stick around? And he said, Baruch Hashem, 25% of our guys will stay in Israel. And I said, I'm closing down your yeshiva. He thought it was pretty good. I thought that we still have work to do. Now, forgive me for giving you a hard time, but Eretz Yisrael, Yeshuv Eretz, is a derisa mitzvah according to the Ramban. Now, everybody in here knows a lot more Torah than I do. I'm not going to doubt that for one minute, even my five-year-old. That being said, we paskin halacha, safek derisa. I know the Rambam doesn't say it explicitly. This is not a shear on the halachas of Yeshuvaretz. But guys, right now, it is not easy to be here. And I agree with that. We already know people that have went back to the States. We know people that have went to Cyprus. Lord knows why. We know people that have decided it's too dangerous for me here. 
I am leaving. I'm out. It's not supposed to be easy to do something that's important or it's not a Kenyan. When you guys come here to hang out and enjoy yourself and it's extended summer camp, that is not a Kenyan. When it's hard right now and grandma and grandpa think that being in Israel right now is pre-war Europe and you got to get to America as fast as possible and you're getting those messages non-stop that it's time to flee, now is when it's a Kenyan. And you'll have this Kenyan for the rest of your life. In Yerz Hashem, when things calm down with the destruction of our enemies, we will have peaceful time to sit, enjoy, learning Torah here. And because you stuck it out when it was difficult, it will be just as big a scar as when it was hard for you. Now, I hate to go ahead and to give you really bad news, and I didn't want to do this. I don't know if you guys know this. It's okay to give this over? Your lives are going to get more difficult. Right now is the easiest your lives will ever be. You have literally no responsibility whatsoever. If you sleep until 5 o'clock and you wake up and throw up on your roommate's bed... Nobody will give you a hard time as long as you do the sheets before 8 p.m. rolls around. Try doing that when you're married in 10 years, 5 years, 3 years, whatever your time frame is. If you throw up on your wife's bed after waking up at 4 p.m., you will need a lot of money for marriage therapy, an expensive lawyer, or bare minimum, one of the grandsons of the Babasali who makes it go away via Kabbalah. Life is going to get much harder. And if you can stick it out during tough times, that's a Kenyan. You will have that for the rest of your life. You will be able to look back and say, it was hard for me. Maybe it wasn't as hard as it was for other people in other situations, but it was hard for me, and I stuck by what I believe in. I dropped my anchor, I remembered what's important to me, and every day I put in everything that I had to stick it out and to be the best possible person that I could be. And when life gets harder, and it will, you'll have other people depending on you. Has for Shalom, you move back to Woodmere, you will have to... Raise the money to buy a $14,000 shadle for your wife. You will have to spend $50,000 to go down to Orlando for Pesach. Has for Shalom. Life is getting hard. But you will have had this Kenyan for the rest of your life to look back on and to draw strength from and to know I have the ability to make it through a difficult time. That's something that nobody will ever take away from you. I want to share one more thought and then we can go ahead and have some questions. I was having the best Sukkot with my family. It was incredible. We were sleeping in the sukkah, we were giving brushes in the sukkah, we were playing guitar in the sukkah, we were enjoying ourselves. Great Holomoid trips. We went to Hebron with Rav Shmuel Eliyahu Shlita. It was incredible. And then my wife decided she was going to ruin it all by inviting my least favorite neighbor. Now you might say, Yaakov, you seem like a nice guy and a noe of Yisrael. What do you mean your least favorite neighbor? Well, 
let me tell you about Zvulun. First of all, Zvulun is that guy that tells you that you have no idea what it means to be a Jew unless you've been to Rosh Hashanah and Oman. Zvulun is also that guy that spends all of his waking efforts trying to get you to invest in his Ponzi scheme. He wants you to buy Diras in Uman, and it's going to be great. When he's not doing that, he tries to get you to try complementary and alternative medicine treatments for illnesses that you don't even have. Zvulun will say things like, Hey doc, for your rheumatoid arthritis, have you tried the mushrooms on the issue? And I'll say, I don't have rheumatoid arthritis, Zvulun. And he'll say, but if you did, you should try these, and they might prevent rheumatoid arthritis. And I'll say, I don't have rheumatoid arthritis, and I'm not eating your mushrooms. And he says, they aren't the psychedelic kind, and I say, then I'm definitely not in <laughs> And he'll say, all you got to do is go to a grocery and get a shovel and dig down about eight feet. Once you've dug down about eight feet, you'll find on some of the roots that are always down there this white fungus that grows symbiotically with the roots. And if you take it and you eat it, It'll prevent and cure, if you got it, rheumatoid arthritis. Now, I don't mean to burst his bubble, but I'm pretty sure that the most likely thing that would happen if you dug down eight feet under a brush tree and found a symbiotic white fungus, and then you ate it, even if you washed it, even if you boiled it, is that you would have neurotoxicity and potentially experience a fatal seizure. So when my wife told me that she was inviting Zvulun for Shabbos Yantif, I said, come on, sweetie, I'm finally in my zone. I'm about to make a seum on Duche Arim, this has been amazing, Sukkot. What a great year. What a great Elul and Tishrei. And you're going to throw it all away to invite this guy, his obnoxious wife, who has all sorts of allergies, and their five kids, each of whom has like seven names. And he calls them all by their seven names and asks everybody to call them by their seven names. Most of which are not names, because it's like Ofek and Dekel, obviously. And my wife told me I needed to work on my Avas Yisrael. And when this guy came, I had run out of sedatives. Not to drug him, to drug myself. <laughs> And he came, and it was the worst, obviously, because he was telling me that it's not an Avera to have people invest in Diras, in Uman, because it's Admas Kodesh, and if you would buy these, then you would grow in Ruchnius, and therefore it's not a problem to talk about it on Shabbos. And then he tried to tell me about 
the neurotoxic mushrooms that cure rheumatoid arthritis because it's pekuach nefesh. And so you could talk about that too. And I tried to jump out of the window at my house, but it's only a few feet down because we were on the ground floor. So that didn't work. And as he was leaving, after failing to take way too many cues, I said, I'll see you later, man. Good Chavez. Good Yontif. And I went up to my bed, and I pitied myself about how this guy had ruined everything for me. And at 7 a.m. the next morning, when I started to hear sounds of war and people getting calls on their phones up for Miluim, I said to myself, if I cannot find Zabulun, this is all my fault. And I went running around trying to find him to apologize to him for hating him in my heart for no reason whatsoever. Everybody's fighting a battle we know nothing about, and I know this specifically because I'm a psychiatrist and I always hear about the reasons that people do their stuff that nobody knows about. And when people are a bit quirky, that's because they've had an interesting experience or two in their life. And this is my brother. He doesn't just live across the street from me. We do 613 of the exact same things with all of our heart. And I hated him. And I spoke Russian horror about him. And I hated his family for no reason. And I was rude to them. And I embarrassed him in front of his family. And I was not respectful of my brother. And I ran around looking for him. And I could not find him. And that ruined my simchasyantif. That ruined my shabbos. Thinking about what I had done with the understanding that maybe he'd be on the front lines and I would never have the opportunity to apologize to him and to do tshuva. Ruch Hashem, after Shabbos was over, I saw him outside. And I ran up and gave him the biggest hug of my life. And I said to him, I'm sorry. And he said, for what? And I thought about that famous machlokas between the Chofetz Chaim and Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, whereby if you've said negative things about somebody, the Chofetz Chaim said, you've got to explain it to them to get real mechila, and Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said, you should not do that. Rabbi Sternbuck said that the Mechtav Me'eliyahu, Rabbi Dessler, held by Rabbi Salanter, this is not a shear on Hilchos Lashen Hara. But I was hurting so hard, and I told him, Zavulan, I love you. If I ever did anything to hurt your feelings or to be disrespectful to you, please forgive me. And he said, Yaakov, you're my holy brother, even if you haven't been to Uman. I appreciate you so much, and I'm so grateful that I get to live near you. And he said, Do you want to buy a Dira? <laughs> And I said, I'll invest a few thousand bucks. (laughs) And then he said to me, Yaakov, look how pleasant people are to each other right now. Look at this. Everybody's walking around saying, Shavuot Tov, Goodbye. 
Isru Hag Sameach, if you're that weird guy. When was the last time you saw so many different types of Jews appreciating each other with Avat Hinam? And he was right. I don't think I had ever seen it. The amount of love that was between neighbors. Neighbors would never talk to each other. Why do I got to talk to him? Zavulin said, I only wish that it didn't take a tragedy to bring us together, and I only hope that when all of this is over, please God soon, that we remember what it means to be Ishachad Belevachad. So, guys, this is your Kenyan right now. It's your Kenyan on Eretz Israel. It's your Kenyan on the Torah, and it's your Kenyan on Am Yisrael. Please, don't waste this opportunity to have it with you for the rest of your lives. Amir Tashem, with every single soldier together, that we should return and be here in the base of Midrash, which is the best possible place for all of us. So thank you for having me. Questions? Oh, we got them. Let's go. Um, how should we, how should we um, I guess, balance maximizing our efforts in learning with sleep? Sleep is the most important thing. Uh, I'm a big fan of trusting your body. So what do I mean by trust your body? I mean, the body starts to break down when it has too much stress, irrespective of sleep. So if your stomach is hurting you, you feel like you can't eat, or you're just stuffing your face compulsively, at Paschamelech with those honey-glazed donuts that I had about 16 of before I rolled in here. Uh, if you are having palpitations, your chest is tight, you're feeling shaky, you have headaches, neck pain... If your body is hurting, take a breather. Really, do mindfulness-based stress relaxation exercises. Breathe in deeply, go for a walk, appreciate the nature, the beautiful nature around us and the issue. Go for a jog, do some exercise, whip out a guitar, play some songs, relax yourselves. And if you're tired, tomorrow it's also important to wake up with a fire and to do what you got to do. So I encourage everybody, ideally you're getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night, which is something that most people don't. Uh, I'm also guilty, which is why I have to take my son's concerta every morning. Uh, It's very important to get the right amount of sleep, all of us. Yes, uh, the Rambam says eight hours and the Benishkai says six and most of the Gedolei Israel get one to two. But for you guys right now in a time of stress, it's important to try and get enough sleep. Trust your body. You should always trust your body. It doesn't lie. Anybody? Wow. Either I did a really good job with this talk or a really bad job with this talk. Good job. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. All right, go do what you do best.
Shabbat Shalom.